Turn with me uh, this morning to Mark chapter 6. Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. And you should have a Bible. Uh, we've placed Bibles on your row. Grab one of those. They're in the basket in front of you. Uh, unless you're on the front row. And then you're going to turn around and ask somebody for one. <clears throat> turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. We just want to look at a story here in the life of Jesus and his disciples and see what the Lord would have us see from that today. Notice these words from the Holy Scripture. And we're going to start with verse 45 and go down to 52. Immediately, which is one of Mark's favorite words, by the way. If you actually read through the Gospel of Mark, he, he loves this term immediately. He likes to keep the story going. He's not a long storyteller like Luke. Instead, he's got the short version. If you ever need the short version, just come to me. You want the long version? You want the Luke version? You go to Jessica, okay? Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. This was the crowd of the 5,000. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Because this is what Jesus did often. He had a rhythm in his life of retreating to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. And said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Let us pray. Jesus, this is your word. Help us this morning to see what you would have us to see, we pray, by your spirit and in your spirit. And in the name of Jesus, amen. I came across a quote that I'd heard before, but I revisited it this week in preparation for today. And the quote goes like this, is from Richard Baxter, who was a famous pastor for many, many years back in the day, 18th century uh, or, or 19th century. And he said this, he said, when I preach, I want to preach as a dying man to dying men. And so I said, oh, that's a, that's a really cool quote. You know, I, I want to preach like that too. I want to, I want to preach with that kind of urgency that if this was the last time that I had with you what would I say? 
if this was the last time you had with me, what would you say? I didn't know that I would almost die in the process over last night. I'd come down with a sinus infection and I stayed up all night long wrestling in both my mind, my heart, and my body. And I'm like, okay, maybe this was the wrong prayer to pray today. I needed more sleep than this. But truly, I do think the Lord has something to say through this very interesting walking on the water story, especially in Mark's account. Uh, Each of the Gospels obviously give their own account of the events. This is why each book is called The Gospel According to Matthew, According to Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark's take at the end of the walking on the water, which everybody likes that. I mean, you know, that's a fantastic story, you know. Somebody walking on the water, we can't do that. So it's obviously a miracle. But there's something that Mark finds more interesting or at least more important than just, oh, man, this was awesome. I mean, you know, he's just sitting there walking on the water maybe 4 o'clock in the morning, which I ended up seeing this morning. Here's what he says. Notice again, I'll just direct your attention to it at the bottom there of 51. It says, and they were utterly astounded. And in going into 52, notice this. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. In all the other stories that are given of the walking on the water, he never mentions the heart being hardened. Actually, most of the time when you actually have the feeding of the 5,000, you actually don't even have this walking on the water story. So what is, I, I kept wrestling with this. And <laughs> if you only knew the struggle trying to, trying to figure out, what, Lord, what in the world are you saying by the, the loaves and then under, their hearts were hardened? Because I'd read in another one where they were actually excited about the fact that he had calmed the sea. Does Mark have it wrong? No. Obviously not. I'm not the authority as the interpreter, but rather the Bible is the authority. So if God says to us, their hearts were hardened after this event, their hearts were hardened. Even if they did think it was a cool miracle. So what's going on? What's really happening here? And because he mentions the lows, we obviously have to go to the feeding of the 5,000, right? So you back up. In Mark here, in the story, you go up to verse 30 all the way down to 44. And without reading it, most people are familiar with the feeding of the 5,000. Most people, by the way, are unfamiliar with the feeding of the 4,000, which comes after this. But nonetheless, the 5,000 kind of gets the fanfare, maybe because it was an extra thousand. Here's what's interesting about it is we're told this. We're actually told that the number was actually greater than 5,000. The Greek term here is strictly man, not child or boy or woman. So there were 5,000 men, which by a scholarly account, we think it was somewhere around fifteen to 20,000 people who were fed on this day. And there's a spiritual lesson from not mentioning everybody. And that is, it's real simple, it's... We don't count everybody. There's a lot of people in our life, in my life, that I just don't even count. I think they are of no account, maybe. Maybe I discount them. Maybe people have discounted you. Me. But God counts everybody, doesn't he? He didn't just have food for 5,000. 
He had plenteous food for any that would come. And so it's fascinating what ends up happening. And I would, I would ask you, just for time's sake, go back. We're not going to read the whole thing, but go back and read this story today. And let it speak to you personally. But I want to draw out a few, if you will, things that I need to hear today. And so I hope by overhearing what the Lord is saying to me today, that he would also speak to your own heart. They're in a desolate place. Jesus is actually withdrawing. You're, you may remember Jesus is withdrawing from people, which is crazy to begin with. He's God. He doesn't need to rest at all. And yet he has a rhythm and a pattern of rest in his life constantly. This is God who never sleeps, and yet he rests. This is God who never gets weak or tired, and yet he purposefully withdraws to pray to God. God praying to God. This is what prayer is after all anyway, isn't it? Talking to God. If God rests, so must we. I need to hear that. If God rests, so must we. Now obviously, he doesn't go to being lazy. He works six days, right? In the beginning. And then he rests on the Sabbath. On the seventh day. And we too must take time to rest. Work, work, work is not the rhythm that God would have for us. We must pull back, withdraw, and become one with Christ in our resting. It's a purposeful resting, you see. It's not a laziness. It's not a laying up on the couch binging Netflix. That's not what this looks like. He went up to the mountain to pray. When's the last time we actually really sat at the feet of Jesus? We're good at the Martha thing, right? I'm good at the Martha thing. I can do all that. If there's a bunch of tasks to be done, let's, let's get it going. Let's start checking off those lists, right? You ever notice that there's not a lot of check boxes in the Bible? God could have easily given us just a simple list. And many people get frustrated when they read the Bible and say, what are we supposed to really be doing? All this narrative stuff and all these stories. Why don't you just come out and plainly say it? You remember the disciples got angry about this too, right? Just, just tell us. Even the Pharisees have said, just tell us, are you the Christ or not? But relationships don't exist by a checklist. Well, only bad ones. No, it's not about checking the list so I can be done with Jessica for the day. Or done with my kids for the day. If that were the case, I'd, I'd like to be done by 9 o'clock in the morning. I'd get up early. Just check it off and be done. But this is not life, is it? This is not relationships. And so when Jesus withdraws, guess what happens? People follow him and he looks out there and he says, they look like sheep without a shepherd. So he says, all right, come on. It's time for feeding. So he feeds them the word. And then just like we're going to do, we're going to sit down. He says, he says, I want you to, to sit down. Sit all the people down. Order them to sit down. In other words, order them in such a way that they can receive. And the church has order. Actually, Paul, when he's talking in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know what? Our worship should be ordered. Which is why we have an order to worship. 
And he says the church should be ordered in such a way that we can receive. And so Jesus is actually practicing this principle right here with the people. Everybody's hungry. They're in a place that doesn't have a Burger King nearby. They don't have a Rosie's nearby. They can't just drop in and go grab everybody. You know, hey, I'll foot the bill this time. Actually, Philip, he, he calculates it. He does some real quick thinking. He must have been the mathematician among the, the rest of them. He says, look, this is basically a year's wage to pay all these people. What are you talking about? We can't feed these people because Jesus had said to them, you feed the people. What do you mean we feed? I didn't even bring a sack lunch, man. Don't you remember when you told us to go out? You told us not to bring anything with us. So we'd have to trust you. And there's times in our life where we start looking around and people need to be fed. We don't have anything to give them. I don't have anything to give them. And yet people are hungry. People right here in Madison, Huntsville, Athens, Decatur, they're hungry for something. They don't know what. And sometimes I, even as <laughs> in my life, I say, Lord, I don't, what, what do you mean? I, I can't feed. These people are smarter than me. They're more talented than me. What do you mean me feed? I, I don't have anything. He says, well, look around. What do you have? A lot of times we just immediately dismiss situations in life because we don't have what it takes. No, I I can't do that for sure. But the Bible doesn't talk about God like that, does it? All things are possible through Him, but, but... He won't be able to do all things unless we offer to Him what we actually have. And all of us have been given something. It may be a bad deck of cards. A bad hand that we've been dealt. My whole deck's bad sometimes, you know what I mean? It's like, good night, can you use a different one? Can I suggest a different one? And then I look over at somebody else and I'm like, oh wow. That's even a tougher hand than mine. I thought mine was bad. God can't do the impossible in my life until I give him what I have. Even if it's nothing. I give, Lord, I don't have anything today but my body, and I give that to you. Myself. Isn't that what he's really after anyway? Yes. Like, does he need our gifts? <laughs> does, does, does he need our talents? Does, does God, is God fretting in heaven? Oh, my goodness, if they don't, if, they, if Marshall doesn't speak today, man, it's going to be just a disaster. No, of course not. If these talented people up here on the stage, if, if they don't lead us, nobody will be able to worship. No. Look, if we lose power today, If whatever comes, we can still praise the Lord. We can still worship Him. As long as we have breath to do so. As dying people, to dying people, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices unto Him. So a little boy, a little lad, steps up and says, "Um, Excuse me, sir, I've got got a little box lunch here. 
And what we know about the two fishes is don't think, you know, some tilapia from, from Logan's. No, no, no. The, these were sardines, more than likely. Because his mom had packed them. They don't have refrigeration, remember. Right? Just, you know, he didn't have the can, but you understand what I mean. He's got five loaves of bread, and he's got two little fishes. Fishies. How about that? That makes it even sound smaller, which it was. He said, sir, I've got, I got a little something here. And the disciples like, okay. I mean, I, I mean, just imagine, you know, <laughs> 20,000 people, all right, 20,000 people. And a little boy steps up, you're like, I mean, I don't want to hurt the guy's feelings, but this is not going to help, dude. It's not, you know, <laughs> anytime that I'm hungry, I get real guarded with like, oh, hang on now. Is that going to be enough? You know what I mean? Am I going to get enough? Am I, if we go over to, anytime Justin's like, yeah, we're going to go over here to this person's house. I'm like, oh, man, are they going to have enough? Are they have enough to eat? I'd have been like, that's not even enough for me. Much less everybody else. But here's what Jesus does, and it's very, very important to see that, that he does this. I need to hear this. He takes basically nothing and makes it into something. But how does he do that? That's the real question. Because, you know, that sounds great and it's awesome. But how does he act? Because he takes it and he gives thanks to God. That's actually what he does. This is where we even get praying before a meal. He blesses it, the scripture says. He gave God thanks for it. Thank you, Father, for this food. Now, I mean, if I'm the disciples, I, I... promise you this is what I'm doing I'm kind of like if I was closing my eyes I would have been like is he being for real like he's you're about to really be embarrassed dude I don't like to get embarrassed in front of a bunch of people it's a lot of people and here he is with this thing held high in the air you know little little what do you call those kitty mill yeah kitty mill right got a little kitty mill in the air talking about he's gonna feed 20,000 people He gives thanks to God. But then notice what happens. That's not where it ends. ends. It all of a sudden doesn't become 20,000 you know, people's personal meal, does it? No. What ends up happening is this, and it's kind of crazy that he would do this. He takes it after he gives thanks. Don't you know that Jesus knew he was already going to do this? He already knew this. He takes it. And then he actually gives it to his disciples. Here you go. Breaks it. Gives it to them. So he takes it from the little boy. He breaks it. And he distributes it to his disciples. He says, now, do like I said. Go feed the people. So then they take it. They break it. And then they distribute it. They take it. They break it. And they distribute it. They take it, they break it, and then they distribute it. And I think that's the pattern I need to hear. It's not up to us. It's up to God, right? It's not my bread. It's not my fish. It was given to me, and I take it. Some of us have a problem with taking things because we can provide ourselves. I mean, I'm sure Philip was thinking, you know, we do have, you know, Judas who's running the treasury here. We can go down to the, to the store and, and not worry about all these people. 
and go get us something to eat, you know? I mean, I'm kind of feeling Mexican tonight. But that's not what happens, is it? Instead, Jesus blesses it. He gives thanks and gives it to his disciples. And they take it, they break it, and then they distribute it. If we're not willing to receive, we'll never be blessed. I don't care that you can make your own living. God doesn't care that you can make your own living. Or that you can't make your own living. I've seen people lose their job, and then that was the best thing that ever happened to them, actually. Because they actually turned around and tried to thank God. Can you imagine that? You lose your job and you thank God? What a nut! No, what a holy person. This is what Jesus does. In a situation that's impossible, he thanks God. When's the last time I, and again, I'm just preaching to myself today. When's the last time I thanked God that somebody saw that I wasn't enough? When I realized I wasn't enough, (laughs) I didn't need even the help of others. When I knew I couldn't do it. When I'd come to the end of myself, when did I then thank God for that? But that's the only way forward if we want a miracle. We have to receive. And we receive from his hand. You see the distribution line? The little boy gives to Jesus and then Jesus to his disciples. He could have distributed himself and taken all the glory. He did not do that. He gave it to his disciples. And you know what? Jesus, he could have chosen to personally, you know, do an outreach thing yesterday. He could have personally chosen to go to prison next week physically. I know he's everywhere, and I know he's in you as you go. But I'm saying he could have chosen to stay here on earth in his... But he did not, did he? Instead, he empowered us. He empowered you. He empowered somebody like me. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid, I had a really traumatic thing happen to me. It didn't seem like much now, but it was, it was bad at the time. My brother always made straight A's. He was one of these straight A guys, a good test taker, all that. I never was good at tests. I made A's and B's, you know? And it just it never bothered me, whatever. But one night, everybody's, you know, lauding. Oh, man, look, you made straight A's again, son. Good job, you know? Yeah, you did, you did well, Marsh. You made A's and B's. And it just, for some reason, it just really got to me. And, and I actually, I, I mean, as just a little guy, I mean, I was, you know, probably in like seventh grade or something. It just, it just got to me. And I actually started crying. And, and my mom and dad, of course, had to come over there. And, you know, Justin's like this. No, I'm just kidding. He wasn't. <laughs> he really wasn't like that. But he felt bad for me, too. He's like, turn, I can't help his brain, you know. I mean, <laughs> help him with his homework, but I can't help his brain. Um, my mom and dad came over there, and they, they, they loved him, and they said, Son, you know, your worth is not in grades. It's not where your worth comes from. Your identity is not in grades. It's in this family. And even bigger than that, it's in Christ. Maybe I'm an A-B guy. Maybe you're an A-B-C guy or an F guy. 
Trust me, I tested the limits of that whole grade span. Just to make sure that my identity was not in grades. We try to put our identity, I do, in so many different things. So many different rubrics and tests and litmus tests. All these other things. We're measuring this and measuring that. The only measurement is Jesus. It's not the guy down the street or the person two seats over. Don't look there. Look up. He's doing this number right here. And what he'll do is if you'll say, excuse me, sir, uh, I've got just, you know, I don't have enough, but, I, but I'm willing to give it to you. You know what he'll do? He'll take it and he'll multiply it. It's the craziest thing. Like, that's what he likes to do. Now, of course, he could do it, done it himself. You know, just created food out of rocks. That was one of the temptations, wasn't it, of the enemy? He didn't do that, though. Instead, he took that little boy's lunch, and we're still talking about it today, 2,000 years later, getting pumped up about it. At least I am. He gives thanks, gives it to his disciples. They take it, they break it, they distribute it. Whatever is not broken will not be blessed. I think that needs to be said again. Whatever is unwilling to be broken will not be blessed. In other words, if I'm going to preach, I've got to be broken. If I'm going to teach, I've got to be broken. If I'm going to love my wife, I've got to be broken. Because that's the only way to pass the love of Christ to others. You take it, you break it, you distribute it. It's in his brokenness, correct me if I'm wrong, that we are healed. It's in his stripes. It's as he hangs on the cross naked and embarrassed. Probably the most conservative person ever. And he's naked beaten beyond the look of a man and he's dying and with his last few breaths preaching as a dying man two dying men he says father forgive them they they don't understand what they're doing it's not what I would have said it's probably not what you would have said but it's what God said and in his brokenness it's distributed to all That's the craziest thing ever. There is no other religious faith that purports anything as crazy as that. But we find it at work in our lives, don't we? Some of the worst times become the best things that could have ever shaped who I am. In my brokenness, that's when I can actually be healed. Because if we could really see ourselves... We are broken people. Thanks be to God. That's who he wants to use. Our broken people. Actually, it's the only kind of people he'll use. He won't use those who have it together. Notice how many times Jesus bypasses the religious leaders? Because they've got all the answers. They have all the theology. They've got the entire Bible memorized. They are doing the checklist Every single day. And the guy who beats his chest beside beside the Pharisee, who's a liar, who's weak, who doesn't have what it takes, he beats his chest says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that's the person who goes away justified. 
not the one that's got it together. Only those who are sick need a physician. The well don't. Are you well? Do you think you're okay? We say we're okay. We say we're okay. Are we okay? If we're not okay, he has a remedy for that. He's not been okay for our sake. And now he's high and lifted up. And he has paved the way for us to pick up our cross and follow him. He wants to take us, break us, and distribute us to the world. But the only ones that he's going to distribute are the ones who are broken. Not the ones who are okay lying to themselves and lying to other people. Have you thanked the Lord for breaking you? It's tough to do. It's the only way to do it. And then what happens, you know the rest of the story, drawing it down to an end. Everybody gets fed off this little bitty lunch that's impossible to feed roughly 20,000 people. Everybody gets fed, but it's not just some cheap lunch. He's not, as one preacher said, he's not El Cheapo, he's El Shaddai. Which means he's more than enough. He doesn't just offer us life to just get by. He offers us abundant life. If we'll be broken for him, he'll heal us. And then when we get healed, we're going to get excited when we see somebody else going through the storm. And we're going to put an arm around them. We're going to invite them. We're going to actually participate in their suffering. This is what the church does. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews, says, was made whole, perfect, through suffering. Just let that sit in. They picked up 12 baskets full of extras. That way each disciple held in their hand the bounty of God. And was looking down like, dang, this is crazy. And then, here's what he does. They're sitting here. How, how, did, how did this happen? Because he took it, he broke it, and he distributed it. That's how. It's what we do right here at this table. It's what we do at this church. It's what we do with our lives. He's willing to take it, break it, and distribute it to the world so that we can be a light to the nations. They take this leftover fish. You say, why did you read the... You know, some of you are already ahead of me. You're like, why did you read the walking on the water show? What's that have to do with, like, I think you messed up your sermon there, buddy. I may have, truly. I may have. But here's where it comes into play. They loaded up these 12 baskets, put them in the boat. And they get on, because Jesus actually, we're told in another gospel, he says he commanded them, get in the boat and go. I'll meet you on the other side. He commanded them to do it. And they went right into a storm. Jesus, I think your GPS is off, bro. Don't you care about us? We're in the storm, man. No, I gave you the loaves. What do you mean you gave us the loaves? These things are wet now. No, no, no. They were a sign. They were a sign that I'm always enough. Whether you're on the land with plenty 
or whether you're out at sea in a tumultuous hurricane or wind, as the case is here, I'm more than enough. Notice he was going to pass them by. Hey, guys, doing good? I'll meet you on that. But he had to stop because they were terrified. See, Mark doesn't see Peter's little escapade of getting out and doing all that kind of stuff. He doesn't see that as important in his gospel. What he sees is this. Notice again, I'll read it again. They did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Don't let your hearts be hardened today. Understand the loaves. When you're going through a storm, when I'm going through a storm, when I'm struggling with God like Jacob, when when God comes to me and says, I want you to speak and I'm stuttering like Moses. Are you making fun of me, God? You want me to be your spokesman? Haven't you seen my grades? You want me to learn all this theology? I don't think you checked the grades, man. Yes, you, the broken one, the one that doesn't have enough. Isn't that good news for us? I mean, I'm raising my hand saying absolutely because you know what? I can't do it on my own. I need you to walk alongside me. I need to walk alongside because that's how we're broken to be distributed to each other. It's what Jesus himself models for us. Remember the loaves, my friends. Do not be terrified in the storm. He's going to do something great. If we'll thank God for it, receive from God, let him break us, and then distribute us to the world. If that's not on our agenda, he can't do anything if you're holding it all in. Mine! I'll I'll take care of this myself. No, 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 no. This is the only response, right, of a Christian. We receive from his hand, and he takes it away. His prerogative. Is that your heart today, friend? If this is our last time together, I'd say to you, Jesus is more than enough. He's more than, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what kind of storm you're in. Or maybe you're on the dry land. He's more than enough. Let him be. Let him be today. Amen.